You guys can have a seat. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Grace City. If I hadn't had a chance to meet yet, my name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of our community this morning. And I need to call my shot at the very beginning this morning. It's just a weird message. It it is. And I know we have a fair amount of guests with us this morning with the orientation leaders who are here. So glad y'all are here this morning. Just know this morning, it's just different. It's different. We're uh, like, we're barely going to talk about Jesus this morning, and we're barely going to talk about Scripture. And so, like, with that one sentence, you'd be like, why are we even meeting, right? Like, just say amen, wrap it up, and let's be done. And I would, I would agree with that. It's just different. It's just different, okay? Part of it is because, yes, this is my last month at Grace City, and so with that, I'm doing everything I can to help with the transition, to help us uh, transi- transition to the next lead and teaching pastor at the, at the church. And so we're going to hit a topic that I think is, is helpful and timely and hopefully helpful for the next guy coming in. And so with it, this morning, I've got really kind of a twofold goal for us. One, I want you to know what to expect of the pastor coming in. Uh, what is it right? How, what are some right expectations that you can have for the person coming in uh, uh, in, in, the, in the next year or so? And then two, what can he expect of you? What can he expect of you, his church? And so I think clarity around those expectations helps us in honoring those who minister and serve in the church and how that is a crucial part to maintaining the health of the body of Christ. So look, if you're a part of the Great City community, lean in, all right? Like I really want you to be taking notes and, and whatnot. This, this is definitely for you. Heed these words. If you're part of another church, uh, maybe you're, you're here visiting, us, visiting with us this morning, I think there's practical wisdom here for you as well, how you can bless, serve, and partner with and honor the pastor in your home church. Maybe you're here this morning, though, and you're saying, David, I've got questions about Jesus and about Scripture, and you just said we're not going to be talking about those a lot, or, or you've got questions about this. I still think it's a good morning for you to be here. It's kind of a family meeting, uh, but you'll be able to uh, kind of get the inside scoop, if you will, on some of these family dynamics. So uh, again, just a little bit of a strange morning. Now, before we go any further, uh, I, I know there's a ton of setup that I'm doing before I actually start preaching. Before we go any further, I need you to hear me very, very clearly. And I won't go any further until I feel like we're kind of all on the same page with this. This is not a sermon where I have some grievance against you guys, or I've got any like grievance against a person in particular, or the elder team, or the church. It's not that at all, all right? I am am going to give a list of lessons that I've learned over the past decade, uh, some good examples, some bad examples, both inside and outside of Grace City. So there are some pointed examples that I'm going to talk about. But it's not like these are wounds that have festered and on my way out, I'm going to call everybody. Like, it's not that, okay? I don't, don't have any grievance. In fact, if I felt any of those things, if I felt that in any way, I wouldn't preach this message because I wouldn't trust myself to be honest with the text and let the text speak for itself. Um, I'd be too nervous. I'd be clouded by personal slights and offenses. That is not the case. This is coming from a place of relational health, right? I love you guys. I love the staff. I love the elder, lo- lo- love the elder team. I love the church. Feel valued, honored, appreciated by all of you throughout the past five years, decade even, and especially over these last few weeks. For real, I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to start until I feel like we're on the same page. <laughs> and so uh, I-, I just need you to know our move to Charlotte has nothing to do with any of the topics we're about to hit. But I do think with me making that move, I feel like I can be in a position to say some of these things um, without hesitation, although I'm hesitating a lot at the beginning, (laughs) Um, uh, say these things in such a way to where a a new person maybe maybe not feel like they have the liberty to say, or say things in such a way that the staff that's currently serving might not feel like they have the liberty to voice because they're unsure of how it will go, how it will land, or how it will come across. 
So with all of that set up, with all the clarification and hesitation, let's get after it. Let's go to scripture because I'm comfortable there. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is going to be kind of the, the base text for what we're looking at. And it's here where we're going to get a verse that lets us know why it's important for you to honor those who minister and serve in the local church. That sentence alone might be problematic for some. Why should we honor and serve those who minister in the church? Aren't they just like everyone else? So like that might cause a, a bit of attention for you. But we're going to see it from this passage, why that's important and why it's critical to maintaining the health of the body of church, uh, health of the body of, of Christ. So as you make your way there, let me give you the context for 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, the church in Corinth is barely hanging on. I mean, it is, it is, they are off the rails morally, ethically, theologically. And so Paul writes 1 and 2 Corinthians to this church to do work. Like he goes to, he goes to coach them up. He rebukes them at places that it is a scathing letter. Um, other places it's more uh, loving, more correctional, more instructional. I mean, all of it's loving, but some of it is a bit pointed. Um, but I mean, 1 Corinthians 15 has one of the deepest explanations about what all is happening with the resurrection of Christ. And so these are two very full letters that we have from Paul, full of practical training for everyday discipleship and for growing a healthy church. One of the main issues facing the Corinthian church was division. The church in Corinth had Christians coming from a Jewish background and from a Greek background. And now they found themselves part of the same community of faith, the same local church. There are thousands of differences between a person from a Greek background, a Jewish background coming to Christ. And now they bring all of that background, all those differences in worldviews and, and opinions, all that is now part of the same church. And so if there's conversations about a text, how do you apply it? How do you live this out? There's going to be some discussion. There's going to be some disagreement. And very quickly, it seems like one group seems to uh, feel themselves superior to another. And so there's just division in the church. And so Paul has the right to address this brokenness. And it's in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul uses this occasion to teach us how the church functions as the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, he says this, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all, its, uh, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Okay, here's where we talk about Jesus, right? Because of Jesus' sacrificial work on the cross, he's made a way for our sins to be forgiven and for all of us to be brought into the family of God. Now we are part of the body of Christ. And with that, yes, we are all on equal footing. We are all on equal footing. We are all sinners, saved by grace, brought into the family by his work and not our own. And because of that, we've got hope now, right? We have hope because we are part of the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of the body. As such, he is head of the church. That is the hope that we have and that we are bound together in and with Christ. So Paul introduces this metaphor that we're part of the body of Christ, and then he goes to, to teach on it a little bit, to explain it, a little, and, and it's, it's, I won't say humorous because it's not quite there, but it is a little bit to me, in that he describes kind of a, a mutiny or a rebellion from the different body parts. And he's like, you know, imagine if a hand said to the foot, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, or, the, or if an ear would, might say that about not being an eye. And, and so Paul's like, look, no, that, that can't happen, right? Because they all have to realize they're created by God to function as one. So after going to great lengths to illustrate his point, Paul brings it to a close at the end of 24 and the beginning of verse 25. This is where I want us to come back in the text. He says this, But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, 
so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Paul wants there to be no division, no division in the church, and for every part to have equal concern for the other. Now, I said at the beginning, we are going to talk this morning about honoring the pastor and those who serve in the church, and we're going to hit that. But before we get there, I want you to know, I want you to know that they, that pastors, those who serve in the church, ministry leaders, elder teams, they are called, and they very much desire to honor and serve you. They very much, very much desire to serve in such a way that honors you. And so expectations that you can have of them for you is to know that everything that he does, the, the new guy coming in, everything that, that they are to do is to encourage and equip you all, is to encourage and equip the saints to do the work that God has called you to do and see that work, whether it's a work that you're doing in your class, community, family, office work, to see that work as a vital part of the kingdom of God. Their role is to honor you in such a way to help grow your faith, to encourage you in your walk, and equip you for the work that God has called you to do. You should expect him to lead you in that aim. And along with that, you should expect him to preach the text unapologetically, right? Do not attempt to form it to the times, bend it to support your worldviews even, or, or bend the text to show how it already aligns with your doctrine and understanding. Now let me say this. Okay, like when we make this hire, we're going to hire someone that, that aligns with our closed-handed issues around who Christ is, the, the authority of his word, right? It's like you go to our doctrinal page, you'll see our closed-handed issues. But we do want, to, want someone to come to go to the text, to study the text, to bring back to us its counsel, its wisdom, and its correction. And so, yes, there might be some doctrines that you have or doctrines that I have or, or thoughts that, you know, maybe this needs a, a fresh look. Maybe we need, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe we should confess and repent. And so, expecting someone to fully align with everything you already think is, is not a fair expectation. Does that make sense? Tracking me on this? So you should expect him to come and, and, and preach the text unapologetically, uh, to study the text, to pray it, bring its wisdom and counsel back to the church as honestly and genuinely as he can, trusting the Holy Spirit to call, convict, change, and impact the lives of the church. You can expect him to honor you by cherishing the text and bringing its wisdom and counsel to the church unapologetically. You should also expect him to love and honor you by shepherding the church well to pursue its mission and its vision. And with that, you should expect him to set the tone for the church, to set the tone, a tone of love and charity and grace rather than a tone of judgment, vitriol, and condemnation. You can expect him to set the tone in that way. You should also expect him to show you Jesus every Sunday. And I'm well aware of the irony that I told you at the beginning of this. We're not going to talk about Jesus much. But you should expect him to show you Jesus every Sunday. And what I'm, where I'm going with this, expect him to show you Jesus and not his opinions of the day or not his latest talking points. Now, I, I do think, and stick with me on this, I, I think eventually some of that should overlap because what we learn and believe about Jesus should impact our day-to-day -day living, how we interpret the culture, how we interact with the culture. But they should go in the right order. It should go in the right order. Jesus first, then everything else. And in that way, they're honoring you by showing you Jesus. Maybe go at this another way. If they start with culture, 
if they start with whatever happened in the, in the pop culture, if they, if they start with the topic, or if they start with the, the controversy, they start with the politic, and then back into Jesus, then I, I think the order is off. And oftentimes it can cloud wisdom. There might be some wisdom in that, but it can, it can make it cloudy and hard to get to, or it might even just be non-existent, that they just want to talk about this, and then eh, we might talk about Jesus. No, no, no. Expect them to show you Jesus and trust the Holy Spirit to do the work of the counselor, encourager, and teacher. You can also expect him to be flawed. You should expect him to be flawed. He and his family will not be perfect. There will be times where he is wrong on doctrine. Uh, I've I've said this to you before. I think I'm quoting N.T. Wright, although I could be wrong on that. Uh, A a third of what I tell you guys is wrong. The problem is I don't know which third, right? And so, like, like you should should expect him to to be wrong on on, on more than one occasion, right? There will be times where he is wrong on decisions that he makes with the elder team and with the staff. There will be times where he gets tired and frustrated and angry and lonely. And it's there where you need to give him the grace that is there for every follower of Christ, that every follower of Christ needs from their community. And so with that, you should expect him to not only teach you how to give grace, but also teach you what it's like to need grace from his community. And I'm telling you, look, as he does this, as your staff is already doing this, whether it's Matt, Rich, Emily, Stevie, Evan, you know, they're, they're, they are playing their part in the body of Christ, leading, leading us to Christ and, and, and showing us, modeling for us what it looks like to give grace and need grace. And, and so they're doing this in attempts to honor and serve you well. But like I said, this whole thing is reciprocal. You are to honor those who serve and work in the church. Why? If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So what does it mean? What does it mean to honor those who work and serve in the church? If I was, if, if I was gonna give, like, put all this in one bottom line, like I was gonna say this a little bit later on, but I brought it earlier in the first service, and I think it serves us well. Um, if you walk out the doors, this is what I want you to know. You honor and serve those who work in the church. You honor and serve your pastor and ministerial staff, whatever church you're part of. You do that when you get in the foxhole with them. You do that when you show yourself a partner to the work that is happening. You do that when you show yourself engaged in what is going on. So like, that is a, a takeaway that you can have. That's really a summation of everything that I'm about to tell you in just a minute. Um, of all the examples that, that I'm going to give to you. But if, if you boil it all down, you getting in the foxhole with them is one of the greatest ways, one of the strongest, one of the most loving ways that you can honor and serve your pastor and your ministerial staff, whatever church you're a part of, is get in the foxhole with them. And so again, what does it mean to honor and work and ser- honor those who work and serve in the church? That's appreciating the role that they carry, the responsibilities that they have, and being mindful that there's a way you can help with them and be conscious of the fact that you don't try to unknowingly add to them, right? And so uh, again, I'm going to give you some suggestions specifically of how you can honor the next guy coming in, set him up for success, and also maybe, maybe give you a few things to avoid that you don't realize are dishonoring to him and unfair to him and his family. Again, but this is coming from a place of relational health. Y'all with me? The, the energy got a little flat here. I'm just going to tell you. It got a little flat, so come back in with me, all right? We're going to go through this list. They didn't even get a chuckle, so let's just keep preaching. Um, so first off, for his entire year, and this is, this is a, big, uh, a, a big ask that I'm going to make of you. Um, for his entire first year, I want you to introduce, introduce yourself to him every single time you meet him for his whole first year. 
Like, and, so, and I know that you're like, Hederman, you're the only one who's bad enough with names to really need that. But I'm telling you, look, this is something you can do as a gift for him. Like, I know that sounds ridiculous, but here's the thing. The majority of you attend this church or your church two to three times a month. Not judging, that's just the metrics of it all, right? That's what you see. That's a pattern that you see. And so just do the math with that. So you might actually speak to him only one out of those two or three times, which means he got your name 30 days ago with 12 other people that he met. And since then, he's also met 30 to 40 other people. And so it's unrealistic for you to expect for him to get your name on the first time. And so just every single time you introduce yourself, you meet him, introduce yourself to him. And, and please, please, for the love of all things good and decent, do not reply with, you don't remember me? Like, I'm, I'm telling you, when someone has said that to me, my gut reaction is like, well, you must not have made a good impression. Like, that's what I want to say. But I, I haven't done it, all right? That might be a little bit of a bone I want to pick. But anyways, so, but, but look, here's the deal, all right? This is whole getting in the foxhole with him. You giving your name to him that whole first year or until he says, stop it, I've got it, right? Until, and you doing that, that's you saying, hey, I recognize there's one of you and there's 250 of us. I don't expect you to be perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect with this. And actually, I want to do everything I can to help set you up for success and help you learn the people here at the church. So, hey, my name's David. We met a month ago. Glad you're here and, 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 and thanks for preaching this morning or something. That, that, but that's you honoring and partnering with him as he learns the church. Don't take it personal if he keeps forgetting your name. I promise you he's trying, and I promise you he wants to know it. Uh, along with that, and listen to me on this one, don't take it personal if he's not your best friend. Do not take it personal if he's not your best friend. Again, just do the basic math. There's one of him, and there's 250 of you guys. Expecting the pastor or even your age group minister to be your best friend and to be personally offended if they are not, that's an unrealistic expectation that sabotages the dynamic from the very start. And if you want a pattern in Scripture to kind of see how, see the, the, to back it up, like Jesus has hundreds of followers, but he's got his 12 disciples. And even within the 12 disciples, he's got three that he's especially close with. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about the others. It's not that the new pastor, it's not that your, the, the ministerial staff, it's not that they, they, that they don't love. They, they love them. You know, Christ loved them. He loved all of them. He just had a special relationship with those three, nothing more, nothing less. Don't fault your pastor if they do the same. In fact, here it is. It's honoring to them by saying, I know pastoring can be a lonely experience, so I'm not going to dictate to him what relationships he has to have and what they have to look like. I'll let him have the opportunity that every other person in our church has, and that's the ability to form closer relationships with different individuals, even within the church, that can encourage him, grieve with him, walk with him, celebrate with him. So you see, you honor him by remembering his humanity and the need to form friendships at his own pace and by his own design. And I frame that up with just the incoming pastor, but know that this applies to just the staff as well. Um, remember, remember their humanity and their need to form friendships at their own pace and by their own design. All right, so that's two kind of suggestions in the realm of interpersonal relationships. I didn't know how to write a better transition than next topic. So um, whether it's the, 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 the staff or the, new coming, uh, or the incoming preacher, uh, pastor, whether it's his first week on the job, whenever it's their first week on the job, please do not go hand them a list of things that are wrong with the church and expect them to fix it on day one. 
because um, there is a list. I mean, like, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I've been leading the church for five, ten years. You'd be like, this is all the stuff David's done wrong the past five years. Here, go, right? And so, like, it's there. And, and, but but I, here's the thing. We're going to hire somebody that's mindful of that, that's, that's geared towards that. Hey, I want to I address it. So they've already got a list of things that they feel need to be addressed and prioritized. You giving that list to them, you could be like, Hederman, isn't that me getting in the foxhole with them? But you giving that list to them could be done with the best of intentions, trying to help them out, trying to partner, partner with them. But so often that just the tone of that conversation um, tends to go bad. It tends to go off because rather it comes across as I expect you to do all of this according to my time frame. And in that, you show yourself not as someone who's a partner in ministry, but really someone who's consuming ministry. Do this on my time frame. And so uh, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a little bit off. I'll give an example um, that I, I hope brings, in my mind, it brings clarity to it. Um, if there was a spill in the lobby back there, there's a spill in the lobby back there. You know, y'all come up to the staff room and say, hey, there's a spill in the lobby. And that'd be helpful. I'm like, okay, there's a spill. I need to clean it up. They probably didn't know where the paper towels were. They didn't know where the mop was. And so I'll go get the paper towels, get the mop, clean it up. And that's helpful. Okay, that's, that's a good thing. We need to know that, have that interaction. It's a little bit different if you come up to me with a roll of paper towels and say, Hederman, there's a spill in the lobby and hand me the paper towels. Like, I'm just telling you, in that moment, I'll probably take the paper towels and go clean it up. But then probably like three of that afternoon, be like, why did they give me the paper towels when they could have gone and done that themselves, right? And so there's a little bit, so there's a little bit of breakdown there. But then the third, a third way of handling that could be, hey, there's a spill here. Where are the paper towels? I think they're in the closet. And then you go get the paper towels and come back and wipe it up and clean it yourself. And, and I'm telling you, might tell the staff, hey, there's a leak in the faucet or this happened. You might tell them or might not. But I guarantee you this, one, it will get seen. It does get noticed, and, and I'm telling you, when, and, and again, I'm preaching the choir because y'all do this, all right? When, when you do that, it is incredibly humbling and honoring because, I mean, there have been, been some times I've been greeting on the front door, greeting on the front steps and look and see some of y'all pick up trash as you're making your way in, and I'm telling you, when I see that happen, it's like you're giving me a hug. It is, because when that goes, it's, it's just, it's humbling and honoring because it's someone that helps me see, again, we're not in this alone. We are in this together. They saw an issue, they found an issue, and they, beca- they, they became the solution. You show yourself in a, a partner in ministry, and, and yes, it is a way that you honor those in ministry. Now, I use paper towels because it's, it's, it's an easy example, but you can substitute that for any number of things in the church. Hey, staff member, there needs to be this type of ministry. Okay, there might be. Let's pray through it. Let's think through this, and then the staff can respond to it. That's one, one way of handling it, and that can be helpful. Hey, staff, here's a book. Go lead this ministry. Okay, well, you've got the book, and clearly you've got the calling. Maybe this is something that you need to happen to. And then the third way, hey, you know what? I've been thinking about this ministry, and there's a group of people that I think can, can, can do this. Can I get with them and start this ministry? And I'm telling you, look, that last sentence that I gave you was a conversation I had with one of you six years ago about starting a college ministry. And, and because of that college ministry, we've seen the, the fruits of that. I'm telling you, you honor those that you serve in the church with when you get in the foxhole with them and when you join them in the work that they are doing. Uh, with that, you honor pastors, ministers, and those who lead and serve in the church by letting your yes be yes and your no be no. Uh, I'm specifically asking when, when uh, they ask you to volunteer in a role on a Sunday morning. Um, if you get asked to serve uh, and say yes, honor that commitment. Honor that commitment. If you can't do it, say no. And here's the thing, inside secret, we're a thousand percent fine with a no. 
Maybe. <laughs> like, you know, like we're okay. Like we know that we know that it can't always happen. Uh, but, but here's the deal. What's incredibly hard to overcome and what's incredibly discouraging is when there's a no-show on a Sunday morning or a late in the game canceling due to, due to foreseen circumstances, right? Like we get it if a child gets sick. We get it if a child gets sick. We know that's understandable. But the whole, oh my goodness, it's Saturday night and I'm in Destin. I've been planning to be in Destin for the past six months. Like, you know, that was coming. You knew that was coming, right? And I, I get it even then. You can get in vacation brain and forget to, to tell a church. But that needs to be um, the exception. It doesn't need to be commonplace. Because what, when that happens, when that happens regularly is is it communicates, hey, staff, or hey, lead team member, what you do is not important, it's not valued. And it also says, the area I was serving in, I don't value it, and I don't think it's important. And whether you realize it or not, it's dishonoring to the staff member and to the area where you were scheduled to serve. Uh, on the flip side, on the flip side, you can um, check no, and then uh, if Saturday night you realize, hey, I'm free tomorrow morning, then absolutely send that text and say, hey, I can be there. Um, that's super helpful, super helpful, and it is honoring in a sense that that person knows you were thinking about them, thinking about the ministry, and that you're, you're going to help, that you're going to jump in and be a part of them. One way that you can honor is let your yes be yes and your no be no. Still with me? Still with me? Still hanging? All right, here's another one. Here's another, this one is odd, and we almost put this in our membership uh, class. We still might in the future. Another way that you honor those who minister and serve in the church is leave the church well. Leave the church in a healthy way. Now, we hate it when people leave Grace City. Like, we want you to be a part of the Grace City family. We want you to be part of the community for as, as long as possible. At the same time, we are self-aware enough to know that it happens. It happens. God calls people to his church, and he calls people away from his church all the time. It's happened to our family, right? I didn't think we were going to be moving. Suddenly we're moving. So it happens, right? It, but, but, but when that takes place, leave your church well. Like when, when people just ghost the church, don't have the conversation, there's no sense of closure for the staff. There's no sense of closure for those that are leading and serving you in that way. And also, like if you're leaving over an issue in the church, it doesn't give the staff an opportunity to address it, to correct it. Maybe not in hopes of trying to keep you, but in hopes of being able to serve the next family better and, and to remove that issue. And, and so uh, like have that conversation, have that conversation with them also. If you feel like your church, like your time at Grace City or, or, another, or your home church, that it's coming to an end, hear me on this. You don't have to find something wrong with it to leave. Right? You don't have to find something wrong with it to leave. There, there have been some folks that have, I've seen just majored on a minor issue so they could feel justified in leaving. And when they did, it's like they threw their grenade and left. Right? Like it just does, it, it, it does unnecessary damage. And so, no, no, no. Just make the phone call, schedule the lunch, and say, hey, Thank you for how you've loved our family. Thank you for how you've served. We do feel like God is leading us to, to, to go and, and find, another community, uh, find another community of faith, find another church. And I'm telling you, like, you honor them with that honesty, and it helps bring a sense of closure to it all. There have been people that have left Grace City that have had those conversations with me, and I still absolutely think the world of them, that they embrace what is a little bit of an awkward conversation to give me that honesty, to help bring a sense of closure to it. You honor and serve the people in your church when you leave it well. Um, the next three, or so I've got four more if you're counting, you're like, Hederman, wrap it up, man, please. And so I've got the next three are centered to the role and task of preaching. Um, you honor and trust, uh, you honor your preacher by trusting him for the messages that he preaches and the topics he addresses. What I mean by that is, uh, like, well, let him set the menu. 
for what happens on Sunday morning. Let him set the course. Let him set the table. Uh, like you can ask him questions saying, hey, I've never heard a sermon on this, or what about this topic, or, or you know, what do you think the Bible says about this? I love those questions, and I love getting them from multiple people because that lets me know because I've got the senses up like, okay, maybe this is an issue that needs to be addressed in church. That's healthy. Do that. That will help him know how to, how to tend to the needs uh, of the church. But it's never acceptable to text, call, or email Saturday before Sunday morning or the week of giving him your expectations for what he should preach that Sunday or what the service should look like that Sunday. And some of y'all are wide-eyed like thinking I would never do that. But I'm just telling you, there's a fad online right now, and I've seen it multiple times over multiple issues that says, if your church didn't talk about X yesterday, then it's time for you to find another church. Right? If your church doesn't speak on this, then it's time for you to find another church. And that, 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 that thought process is just, it's ignoring all the work that has been happening leading up to that, Sonny. Because like, you know, I'm, I can tell you this, a, a preacher, the pastor, he's been praying and asking God what to speak on, what to, what to address for days, weeks, sometimes months. Ahead. There have been a few sermons that I've given to you that I've been cooking for years. That I've been waiting, God, when's the time to preach this? When's the time to bring this before the church? And so we have to trust in God's timing and prompting. And yes, sometimes there will be a huge, or sometimes there will be an event, not necessarily huge, that happens on a Saturday or Friday that's like, okay, we got to call the audible and we got to pivot and go for this on a Sunday morning. There are occasions where that happens. But if it's not addressed on a Sunday morning, don't think that it's not going to be addressed or it's not wanting to be engaged. Because it might be, hey, this issue has happened, but I know in three weeks I'm preaching this text that's going to be able to speak into this. Or I know that this is coming up. And so trust him in that. Again, there are hundreds of people in the church, which means thousands of issues. It's incredibly hard to know how and where to speak to each one. So have some humility, have some grace, have some charity, and trust that he's doing his best to speak to what he believes. And really, here's the bottom line of this section, that he believes is the word that God has for the church for that time and for that occasion. Trust him to do that for you. Um, This next one, um, in 10 years of preaching to you guys at Grace City, I've never, like, I mean, I'm a hypocrite and a sinner, like everybody else, but I've never preached a message where I thought, I am being a hypocrite as I say that. Get ready. I'm about to be a hypocrite for the next three minutes. <laughs> so uh, you, honor and, you honor your preacher when you sit up front and in the middle. <laughs> you honor your preacher when you sit up front and in the middle, all right? And that's just, I, like, because when you sit up close, I can see your faces. I can process your nonverbal a little bit better, and that lets me know, hey, finish this topic and get on to the next. It lets me know if I need to clarify it a little bit. So yes, you honor when you sit up front and in the middle. It helps give the preacher energy, and he can give the energy right back to you. Um, the second thing it does, though, especially in our place, our guests tend to, send, tend, tend to sit in the back rows. And so when you come forward, you give up your seat for the guests. And it's another way that you show yourself a partner in the ministry. But again, I know that's hard. I'm a hypocrite on that. I would either be in the balcony or I'd be on the middle side section. That's probably where I would sit. But ignore that. Sit up front in the middle and honor and serve your preacher. The last one, uh, the last one for preaching, and I have two more. Again, if you're keeping track, and I gotta move because we have some awesomeness at the end of the sermon, uh, at the end of the service. Um, the, last, the, the last one for preaching, but it, it does go with each age group. In the Deep South, there's an expectation of politeness, and I get it. 
I get it. So, so oftentimes, after a sermon uh, on a Sunday morning, I'll walk by some of you, and you'll be like, thanks, Hederman. That was a good sermon this morning. And there's part of me that wants to go, liar, that was horrible. <laughs> like, I know it was bad. I know, I know you're trying to be nice. I know you're trying to encourage. I know you're trying to, to give that compliment. Like, whether it's good or not, so many times you guys say, hey, that was a, that was a good sermon. And, and, and maybe you really meant it. And that's, 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 that's good. But here's the deal. Um, so many times it's like the obligatory, obligatory thing to say, and you're just trying to get out of the conversation. A tip for that moment, a tip for that moment is just say thank you. Hey, thanks for studying the text. Thanks for bringing that sermon, whatever that was. Thanks for bringing, uh, thanks for studying the text, and thanks for bringing that to us this morning. A thank you gets out of that moment just as well. But here's the deal, and maybe I shouldn't even waste the time with that. This is what I really want you to take away from this section of it. If you want to compliment a preacher, if you want to uh, compliment your, the age group minister, if you want to compliment, if you want to support them in, in that, in, in what's Matt, Stevie, Emily, if you want to support them, be specific with the compliment. Because I guarantee you people are specific with the criticism. Be specific with the compliment. What I mean by that is this. You can say, Hederman, when you said X, it made me think Y. Right? When, 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 you, when we looked at that parable, I thought about this conversation that I was having at work, and this lets me know how I need to address it. Okay, I'm telling you, when you get specific with that type of compliment, whether it's of the retreat, of the worship set, or whatnot, when you get that specific, that one sentence, I'm telling you, it can keep someone in ministry another Sunday. Because they begin to see the fruits of their, of their labor. And maybe just a seed that's being planted. And I'm telling you, you honor them with that. And they will work twice as hard in serving. And, encourage, and, and, and twice as hard at honoring and serving you in return. And what that is, that's the body of Christ working together. Lastly, and this really is the final one. Please know that when Grace City hires this next lead pastor, we are not hiring his family. We're hiring him. We're not hiring his family. Let his wife come and plug into Grace City, just like every other woman at the church. If he has kids, let his kids come and plug in, just like all the other kids. Don't expect more out of them. Don't expect less out of them. We're hiring him, not his family in this. So like, along with that, don't question his spouse or his kids. Don't, don't question... Um, I should say their spouse because Emily's married to Nick, right? Like don't, don't, don't question their spouse about what they're doing or the direction of the church. Don't try to handle them through their spouse. Does that make sense? That's dishonoring to all people involved. But on the flip side, on the flip side, man, when you love and support a spouse, when you love and support the, the, the spouse of those on staff, when you have compassion and understanding for the role that they carry, uh, the unique role that they carry, or when you pour into their kids and help show their kids Jesus, man, you honor and serve a pastor in a way that helps them honor and serve you. And honoring and serving those who minister in the church, it is a crucial part to maintain the health of the body of Christ. Grace City, I love you. I said this morning was weird. And it was with the subject matter, but I also felt confident being able to bring it to you because, again, it's coming from a place of relational health because I am preaching to the choir on this. You guys have been awesome. You guys have been awesome. Our family. Our family has felt, and we do feel loved, valued, and honored by all of you. It has been the greatest honor of my life being able to be a pastor here at Grace City. And my hope and prayer 
is that you continue in this effort for the one who is to follow me. So that when he gets here, he gets to experience our vision. When he gets here, he gets to experience the love of Christ through you guys. And know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is where God has called him to join in his redeeming work. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. And we thank you for your text. I thank you for your church. I thank you for how you've formed us together into the body of Christ. God, I pray that we would be mindful of this command to honor one another. God, help us to do this well to where the church is healthy, stays healthy, and continues to maintain that health so that we can uh, honor you and, and, and uh, honor you by the way we honor one another. God, you tell us in your word that uh, the, if, when we love the way that you have loved us, when we love one another the way that you have loved us, others will know we are your disciples. God, help that happen in and through the church. Um, God, help us to see the text, respond to the text, and, and be corrected by it. And God, I do pray I do pray for the one that you are calling, wherever, wherever they are, whatever they're going through right now, Lord God, I pray that you would begin to stir within them uh, a, a sense of excitement and joy and burden and calling um, for this community, that they would steward it well, that they would show, uh, that, that they would show this church you Sunday after Sunday and, and lead us into the truths of your text and of your word. God, we love you, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.